All right, hello everybody. It's wonderful to be back. It's been a, a bit of a hiatus, but it's wonderful to be back with you all. And we are going to be dealing with tonight is the halacha component. Tomorrow night we'll be going back into Jewish philosophy, a very controversial topic on tomorrow night about the difference between Jews and non-Jews in Jewish philosophy. But uh, tonight we are dealing with a... Oh, my apologies. Someone, give me a sec. Apologies. So tonight we are going to be dealing with, uh, from Pashat Akev, the uh, well-known Pasuk, perhaps one of the most well-known Pasukim in the Torah, that you should eat, be satiated, and you should bless, uh, which becomes the source for Birkat Amazon in the Torah. Now, Birkat Amazon benching is the only blessing along with uh, Birkat Torah that are actually of Torah origin. Every other mitzvah, every other blessing is of rabbinic origin. Now that does have a lot of ramifications as we'll see uh, shortly. But what I wanted to do tonight was I think that benching is something that we often, uh, we talk about in different contexts and the idea of benching is something that we're familiar with. And even if we don't know all the ins and outs of benching, I figured I wanted to do something a little bit different and go through some halachot regarding benching that uh, we are um, either completely oblivious to or, um, or perhaps just need a bit of a refresher. So I, I, I took a, a smattering of different halachic questions that come up on benching. Um, unfortunately, I've just got the Hebrew, but I will speak them all out and uh, just talk a little bit about some ideas that you might not be familiar with. So... Um, the first thing is I've got the chapter topic should be all in front of you here, the, the titles of each of the lachas, and one is throwing out food. Now, um, I remember the first time I saw this. So when I lived in Efrat, they'd have, uh, they've got these things called frogs. I don't know why they're called frogs, but it's like a, a tip. So every area in Israel um, has a tip. So you've got your bin, and then there's usually a, a few tips around where you'd go empty your bin into the tip. And uh, in these, these frogs... Um, they're enormous and you'll always be around the, the frog a handful of plastic bags with bread in them and I could never understand what the logic behind what the bread was being in the bags and that comes out of the Shulchan Aruch so reading as follows over here I'm going to get my little pen out so I can write along with me so with your you do whatever you need to do with bread but you may not you may not um, make it disgusting. You can't do anything that makes it disgusting. Therefore, so you should never put raw meat on bread because that would make the bread inedible. You should never carry over a glass full of a liquid over the bread because water on your bread makes the bread disgusting. And never balance a, a, a bowl of some food on the bread in such a way that if it were to tip, topple over, it would make the bread disgusting. Now, Aki, and you may not throw bread because of a bizayon ochlim. It is considered a disgrace. It is for the for the for the bread. Now there is a Swahili minhag. If you've ever been that Sfarim, they make a mozi and then they they don't they don't you know throw it like from the outfield, but they like sort of toss the bread to one another. But throwing bread 
would be a problem. So I said, oh, throw me a sandwich and some guy throws you food across the, across the charochel, that would be a problem. And just as we don't throw bread, you shouldn't throw away any other food in a way that would make it disgusting as a result of throwing it. Sorry, but things that won't be disgusted by throwing it, uh, throwing it wouldn't be sad. It gives like nuts and, uh, and pomegranates and the like. So throw me an apple, it's not going to disgust it. Now, comes off from this, and it, does, it doesn't mention it explicitly here, it mentions it explicitly elsewhere, that the idea of throwing out bread, anything that's more than an olive's worth, so what we would call like a, a small piece of bread, you should not mimace, you cannot make it disgusting. So how do you make bread disgusting? How do we mostly make bread disgusting? So the leftover bread from the meal, you chuck in the bin. So once it's chucked in the bin, the bread becomes disgusting. So that would be a, a, a whole big transgression of this whole concept that you're making bread disgusting. So you can't throw out bread. That's the idea. So, so how do you get around throwing bread out bread? So there are two ways that people do it. The way that many people do it is by putting it separate to the trash. So you would put it in a plastic bag. So you take all the bread that's left over from the meal and you put it in a plastic bag and put the plastic bag in the bin. So in that way, the bread itself is always fine. It's never, over time, invariably that bag will break open and become ruined, but you are not actively with your hands making the bread disgusting. And so that is a permissible way of doing it. Another way of doing it is feed, it, feed the bread to the ducks or something like that. But the idea of just throwing bread because it's no longer eaten, that is something you're not allowed to do. Now, the, this is all based on the broad concept of showing appreciation for something that you did, you got positive from. You got, you got satiated from the bread and it's something you benefited from, so don't disgrace the bread. And it's the same thing with, um, for example, your lulav. You used a lulav for mitzvah, so you shouldn't just throw your lulav in the bin or your tzitzit. Even though they're not holy items, you shouldn't chuck them. They were used for something very positive and so similarly, you should uh, not disgrace them in such a way. So very careful. It's something that I'm not sure everyone knows about, but we should treat bread with respect, because it shows the sensitivity that we have. Okay, next halacha. So this has to do with leaving bread, food on the table. So says the Shulchan Aruch, There should always be food on the table when you're benching. So I don't know how people do it. My guess is this is probably most people do anyway, even though it might not necessarily be intentional. But you should always have food on the table when you bench. It shouldn't be the point that, you know, you finish the table, so you, you clear off the table. So I tell you where this would be a big problem. At weddings. So every time you go to a wedding, by the time you get to benching, there's nothing left on the table. They've cleared the thing completely. You've just got a tablecloth. So it says here you should not do that. So the Mishnah Bura, who's a commentary, the most recent, uh, probably the most recent well-known commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, we're talking the, the Mishnah Bura is the Chofetz Chaim, and he lived at the beginning of the 20th century. Explains why we should leave something. Because it needs to be evident when you're benching over what you're benching. It should be evident. So if I clear the table, let's just say I'm eating at a, at a food court. Assuming there was a kosher food court in town. And there was a, you're eating at the food court. And you, you go and you chuck everything from your, your plate and you put it in the bin. And now you're sitting there. 
So no one knows what you're doing. You're mumbling words to yourself. But when you've got food in front of you, it's clear you're blessing because you had the food. So you need to have the food there in front of you at the time. And uh, another part, which is quite interesting. Blessing never works on something empty, on something vacant. So this is a famous story. We read about this in one of the Haftarot of Elisha. That goes to the, uh, an Ishashun Amit, goes to this woman who's absolutely destitute. She has no money whatsoever. And Elisha says to her, do you have anything in the house? And she says, I've just got some. He says, do you have any uh, vessels in the house? She says, she does. And she brings vessels and says, go borrow as many vessels as you can. And then a miracle happens and all the vessels start filling up with olive oil. And the, the Gemara there overlearns that you see, he couldn't just make jugs of olive oil. You needed to have at least the jugs there. You have to start with something. So if I'm going to make a blessing, so that was a blessing of the miracle. But if in order for a blessing to have some substance, it's got to have something there. Now, on a similar vein, I'll be different, is why we make Kiddush on a glass of wine. Because you need some. So the, word, the concept of making Kiddush... Is just reciting words that today it was Friday, now it's Shabbat. And theoretically, by just saying those words, you fulfill the mitzvah. But we say, no, no, we need to do something more than that. Because you need to have something on which the blessing should reside, so to speak. So we take something that's very dignified and we take a glass of wine. Which is why we take the glass. The, the Brepria Guffin, in theory, has absolutely nothing to do with Kiddush. It's just we want the blessing to rest on something. So it rests on the one, and that's why, so, so just as when we bench, we should make sure there's something left on the table. Okay, next salacha, and this one, uh, I, I'm not sure how many of us are strange on that. Nohagim lachasota sakin amazon. So if you've got a knife on the table, now here it's not necessarily the bread knife, could be any knives on the table, you should cover them when you're benching. On Shabbos, you don't have to be that stringent. Now, uh, on Shabbos, I suppose for many of us, it's the only time that there are going to be knives on the table, at least if, these sort of knives. But um, there should never be a knife on the table when you're benching, except for Shabbat, you can be lenient. Now, what is this all about? So again, the Mishnah Baruch comes and explains. Yes, there are two reasons behind this. So our dining room table, and the Gemara Kham talks about this mess. Once upon a time, we would be able to achieve atonement through the Mizbeach, through the altar in the temple. But now we don't have an altar anymore. So our dining room table becomes the altar that in bringing people and having guests around, it's, it, our table becomes a Mizbeach, our table becomes an altar. So it says, one of the things we know about the altar is that uh, the, so the altar would lengthen lives of people. It was to seek atonement. And what does knives do? What does a blade do? It shortens the life of an individual. So you can't have something that shortens the life on the, on the table where it's supposed to be lengthening the life. Okay, now, the, the Mishra doesn't like that one as well because if that was the case, we should never allow a, a knife on the table. Why? Wow, there's only benching. If the table is always going to act as an altar, so what difference does it make? You should never have knives on it. So he brings another reason. He brings it. He says, And he brings another reason. He says, And also, one of the things we know about the altar is that when the altar was made, you were not allowed to 
use any metal implements in um, in building the altar. So now when that altar is coming to its, let's say it's fruition, what is the purpose? We are now elevating. We've eaten and now we're going to elevate the meal through benching. So that's the altar coming to its purpose. We shouldn't use knives. We shouldn't have knives on the table because the altar was not allowed to be built with knives. So that's all one reason really. But Tama Shaini, and the second reason, so now it tells a Midrashic story that once upon a time they were benching. Now there are three uh, blessings from the Torah of benching. So Hazanet Akol, that's the first one. Hala Aretz Alamazon, the second one. And Uvenei Yerushalayim Yerakush Ben Bonei Barachmav Yerushalamamay. That's the third blessings. All three of those are from the Torah. There's a fourth blessing, who hated, who mated, who hated, Lana, which is Drabana. So there was this once, there was this, uh, this one guy, very interesting character, let's just say, very pious individual. And when he got to the blessing, when he got to he got so distraught. He remembered the destruction and got so distraught by it. He took the knife and stabbed himself. And therefore we take the knife off at the time of the bracha. Okay. Now, so on Shabbat are you allowed to have a knife on the table? <coughs> so say on Shabbat, you weren't allowed to build a Mizbayach on Shabbat. So since you weren't allowed to build a Mizbayach on Shabbat, so therefore you're allowed to have the knife on the table. Okay. The second reason is a little harder, harder to stretch about the idea of being so, so emotion, you're so emotional when you get to Vinay Yerushalayim Korish that you're actually going to you're actually going to um, stab yourself. Um, Baruch Hashem, we don't have people that do those sort of things. But on the other hand, halavai, we had people that were that emotional about the benching that they would actually come to do that. Okay. So that is the, uh, what's it, the third halacha with regards to um, benching about making sure that there are no knives on the table at the time of benching. Number four. Now, let me see. Let me just stop my little hand here so I can get my... There we go. Now let me just give me two secs. Just clear up here. All right. So next one. What if you forgot that you benched? Now this would also be included that you, you're not sure whether you benched. So there's a general rule in halacha. Safek deraita lechumra. Safek derabanan lekula. Which means as follows. If you have doubt regarding a particular mitzvah. If it is a Torah-ordained mitzvah, so then you should always be stringent regarding it. If it is rabbinic-ordained mitzvah, so then you can be lenient regarding it. So as we said before, that Birkat Amazon is a mitzvah derited. It's a Torah mitzvah. So what do you do if you forgot? You, you either forgot to bench. Not so much you forgot. You not, forgot not that you forgot to bench, but you forgot if you benched. So it says the Shulchan Aruch, he doesn't remember, he can't remember, did he bench or not? He has to bench again, or has to bench, even if he, he thinks, I might have benched, I'm not sure I benched. Now, the same thing would be in cases of uh, if you forgot certain additions. So, for example, on Shabbat, you forgot to say, on Rosh Chodesh or Yontov, you forgot, Yalevi Yavo. So all of those cases, you've got to come back and bench again because it's as if you haven't benched. So this is something that people are not always aware of. Um, dare I say that benching for me is, is, is one of the toughest mitzvot because 
you know, on Shabbat it's a little bit easier, but during the week, you know, when you're benching, it's really because you've got to get going wherever it is. So to actually sit down with a, a sidur or a bencher and to bench is, is very challenging. But, um, but nevertheless, I think it is quite, um, it is quite important that we need to know that. All right, now there are two more questions. We're going to do the lo- this, the last one first. This one. Now this is, excuse me, that this is a Seinfeld term, um, referring what if you refunded, and that is if you ate, and you couldn't keep it down. So you you were eating dinner and you got sick, during the middle of your meal or after your meal, and you you didn't you weren't able to hold down all the meal. Do, is, do you still bench? So you've eaten a meal, you've eaten enough to be able to consider having eaten, and then you, you, you throw it up. So do you have to bench or do you not have to bench? Now, I understand that this is a very strange question, but the reason I wanted to deal with it is because it has a lot of fascinating ramifications. Even though the, the, the law itself is, is quite mundane, I want to just take you through a, a, a tshuva, a responsa from the Har Tzvi. Um, the Har Tzvi was the great Rav in Yerushalayim at the beginning of the 20th century, Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank. And uh, he said as follows. Now this is, it has, it has interesting ramifications because there's lots of time. Let me do a little bit outside and then I'll take you a little bit inside. How do we determine eating? When you eat, is it that something comes through your mouth and swallowed it, or that something's in your in your gut and digested? Which is the review? So, so let's just look at what we call the nafkaminas. If it's in your mouth, so once something's past your mouth, what happens after that is irrelevant. So if I ate something and then I you know I swallowed it and then I vomited out. So it doesn't matter that other because you, you, you swallowed it, so therefore it's considered eating. Which would mean anything that goes through your mouth is considered eating. If on the flip side we say, no, it's not what happens on your mouth, it's what happens in your stomach. It's about getting nutritional value from it. It's about, therefore, it doesn't matter if it goes in your mouth. It's a matter it doesn't stay in your stomach. So then you bench. If it doesn't stay in your stomach, then you don't bench. So if you vomit it up, you don't bench. So that would be... You know, the practical, one practical. But let me show you some other things. What happens if you can't eat? So you get fed through an intravenous tube. Do you have to bench? Do you have to make a blessing for that? Do you have to bench? On the one, if we say that eating is when it goes through your mouth, well, this isn't going through your mouth. It's going straight through a gastric tube into your stomach. So therefore, you don't have to, you don't have to make a blessing before or after. If, however, you say, no, it's got about getting nutrition in my body and am I digesting this thing? So then it does make a difference. So uh, then, I would, then I, would, uh, I would have to bench, even though I've never eat, haven't eaten it per se. That's one example. Um, another example is going to be with regards to, um, oh, I had it on my top of my head, but it will come back to me as, um, um, oh, uh, how long do we wait between meat and milk? Is meat and milk, is the concern that you can't eat meat and milk together? Fine. So if I eat meat and I swallow it and now I eat milk, well, there's no meat and milk together. They've passed my mouth. There's no meat and milk. As long as I don't have meat and milk in my mouth at the same time, so it shouldn't be a problem of meat and milk. If you're going to say, no, no, it's got to do with the digestion, so then I've got to make sure that there's no meat in my stomach before I let the milk go in or vice versa. So uh, these 
these topics need a little bit more discussion, but I wanted to deal with it because as you can see, even though this is a question that my guess is a, a person who asks these kind of questions probably once or twice or three times. So how many times in a person's life does this really become a question that they ate a full meal and then, then, then weren't able to bench as well, a question of benching? But nevertheless, I thought it was quite interesting because he's going to bring some interesting proofs here. So just go through. So the question is, So someone made Kiddush and then they ate. And after having eaten, he regurgitates before he had an opportunity to bench. Does he have to bench or not? And then the second question was with regards to Kiddush. We're not going to focus on the Kiddush question. So it says, so, says, so the first thing I want to clarify is what is the concept of benching? Is it about what we benefit in our mouth, literally our throat, our, the benefit of our throat, or the, the, the benefit of our, of, our, of our innards, of our stomachs? So let's look at the opposite. If that's eating, eating has got to do with it's in your mouth or stomach. What about eating trafe? The opposite. So it says, because if I eat trafe, it's the problem that, so if I eat, if I chew non-kosher bulto and I spit it out, so did I transgress the avera of eating trafe? I ate chametz on matzah, I chewed chametz on Pesach and I spat it out. Did I transgress the avera? Well, if it's hanat garon, if it's based on what comes into your mouth, then absolutely. If it's what comes into your stomach, well, then maybe not. So it says, uh, this is a machloket regarding um, the uh, eating prohibition. This is a machloket between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. She Rabbi Yochanan sover hana garon velachen imachal chetzi kazad veikio vachazav al chetzi kazad veikio chayav. So he says, since it is, Rabbi Yochanan says that half, it's what goes through your throat. So he says, if you eat half the amount, so let's say you've got to eat a, just an argument, you've got to eat a piece of bread on Pesach in order to transgress the Avaira of eating chametz. So you eat half a piece of bread, and then you throw it up, and then you eat another half a piece of bread, so it's good enough. It's good enough because it's past half, both those half a piece of bread have passed your mouth. For Reish Lakish Savah, Hanad Ma'ayim, Lachem Mimachal Chatsi Kazan, V'chol Patur, and Reish Lakish comes and says, no, it's good. Did you ever have two pieces, an entire piece of bread in your stomach? Answer, no, you didn't. So therefore, you never transgressed the prohibition. So it says, therefore, so he says, do to him. Aval imachal kazait shalem vachachachigo gam ken gam lereish lakish chayav sharei hayakam mekana. He says, if we're going to learn from that, from Reish Lakish, he says that, well, in our case, even according to Reish Lakish, you would have to bench. Why? Because Reish Lakish said, if I eat half a piece of bread and then vomit it up, and then another half a piece of bread, you never have a full piece of bread in your stomach, so therefore you never transgress the prohibition of chametz. However, what happens if I ate a whole piece of bread and then I regurgitated? Did I transgress the prohibition of chametz? So even according to Rachel Lakas, you transgressed it. So even though you know you don't have it in your stomach, even though if you did not have it in your stomach at one time, but here yeah, you did. So at some point in time. I had a full meal in my stomach. So the fact that now when I'm coming to bench, I don't have a full meal in my stomach. At some point I did. So therefore I should have to bench. So that's what you said. So it sounds like if, if we're going to say that benching follows the same logic as, um, 
as prohib- of eating something that's prohibited, so therefore I should have to bench even though there's nothing left in my stomach. So that's his opening thesis. He carries on. And he quotes uh, Panim Mirot, one of the books named Panim Mirot. He says, no. He quotes the book, he says, no. Completely opposite. We paskin that you have to have the food in your stomach in order to bench. And he says, so too is the Chatam Sofer and the Minchat Chinuch. So if you only ate half and then regurgitated and then you ate another half, so then you would not have to bench because you didn't have it all in your stomach at one point. Okay. So it says, so based on this, it sounds that you would have to bench if you had it in your stomach at once. Uh, and you so. So, okay, so you'd have to have it in your stomach at one time in order to obligate benching. Okay? Nevertheless, one perhaps could suggest So, what's the halacha of benching? For how long can you bench? So, let's just say I ate breakfast. And then I got carried away, I got involved with chores, and three hours later, I remember, oh, Gavalt, I forgot to bench. So, do I still bench? So, I think we all agree there has to be some limit to the amount of time that an individual is going to be allowed to bench. Because if it goes beyond that limit, so like, we can't say benching today for food I ate on Shabbat. So, it has to be a limit. So, what is that limit? So, Halacha, they came to a number, which is uh, 72 minutes. But that 72 minutes is what? Once the food has left your stomach, I, once, you, once the food's digested, you can no longer bench. How long does it take for food to be digested? They reckon around 72 minutes. So for, for up to 72 minutes, since the effects of the food in your stomach is still felt, you can bench. But after 72 minutes, digested, you can no longer bench. So if that's the case, says Ratsvi Pesach Fang, hold on a second here. If it's digested, it's no longer, I cannot feel the positive effect of the food, I can no longer bench. So what happens in a case when somebody regurgitates, there's no more food in my stomach. So def- is there any difference to the food having digested? One or another, there's no food in my stomach. So how can I bench? So granted, while the food was there, I had an obligation. But now the food's no longer there. So I should have no more lo- no obligation anymore. There can't be any greater form of, of, of digestion than the food's mummish not in my, st- in my body anymore. When we say you can't bench, it's when it's not in your stomach anymore. It's still in your body. But here we're talking about fat. It's not even your body anymore. Surely we shouldn't have to bench. So there's, so we've got these two, uh, two different, this machloike. One saying, yes, because at some point in time, there's an obligation. If there's an obligation at some point in time, you're obligated to bench. Another saying, yeah, it might have been, but the obligation is now long gone. Because, um, because the food's no longer in the stomach. So he quotes from the Koliyahu, if I'm not mistaken, is the Vulnagon. And he says, uh, So he says, he wants to say that it's the same as eating something prohibited. So he says, 
that's in a case, he says, we, we're going to go with the opinion that so long as you eat and it's been in there for a while, you've got a bench. Yes, you're right that the concept, once the food's digested, you can't bench anymore. Since that's when it's completely gone out of your stomach. And And he says, and maybe if you could argue that everything that you ate was regurgitated, literally, you ate this amount and this amount, so how much came up, sorry for the graphic details. So possibly you wouldn't have to bench, um, you wouldn't have to bench in such a case. But that's not always the case. There's always something left in the stomach. And so therefore the obligation would still be there. So he quotes here at the end, he says, so he wants to answer in the end. So it's, it's one of these beautiful uh, responses where it's almost like a court case. Like when you hear the prosecution, you say, oh, yes, they, he's definitely guilty. And then you hear the defense, you say, oh, he's definitely innocent. So he's been going, toggling between these two opinions. But whether he's obligated or he's not obligated. But he says here at the end, Tachla says, what is the obligation of benching? You will eat, you'll be satiated, and then you will bless. So one of the critical aspects of benching is being eating and being satiated. But if a person vomits, they're no longer satiated. You can't say that. And that's what he says at the end. Is a person who eats and then vomits. Even if there's stuff, food left in his stomach, he didn't vomit everything he ate. He still doesn't have to bench. Why? You need to You need to be satiated. And this person is anyone who vomits is not satiated. No one regurgitates and then says that was a great meal. This doesn't happen. So therefore, there is no obligation to bench. So like. As I said, it's a, it's a little bit graphic, and my apologies for the graphic nature of the question, but I think it's, it's not so much that to understand the concept of what practically you do if this ever happens to you, but you see how it opens up a whole different categories of how we view benching. Is it something that goes through our mouth or something in our stomach? And the idea that how being surveyor, being satiated, is such a critical part of, of benching. So I, I have another chuva, and I'm just going to speak a little bit about it outside because it's, uh, we do try to keep this to a half an hour session. But uh, just one more thing, that, and that was this, when is bread not bread? And to this, is, uh, there are two ways of looking at this. One is sometimes something that's not bread becomes bread, and that's what we've got benching. So for example, eating something that's called pat habab kisnin, which is uh, pastries. Something or something functions like bread. It's like mazonet rolls. It looks like bread and acts like bread and tastes like bread. It's bread. And something that even doesn't look or taste, but it is functioning like bread, like a pastry, like a, a meat pie. So you have enough of that, you've got to bench. But what about the other way around? And this is something which is, it's bread. However, what is the blessing we make on bread? So it's hamotzi lechem min haaretz. So what does it mean? That drew out bread from the land. So what happens if the bread doesn't come from the land? So I'll give an extreme example. Uh, manna. What was the blessing said on manna? So the manna was lechem mina shamayim. That's the way the Torah calls it. It's lechem mina shamayim. It was bread from heaven. So what's the blessing you make on it? So there is one opinion that comes and says, you don't make any blessing on it. It's miracle food. You don't make blessings on miracle food. But everyone else comes and says, you must, it must be a blessing. What is the blessing? So you can't say, I'm what's lechem mina 
So the Gemara wants to suggest that one of the what was the blessing? Hamotzi lechem mina shamayim that who brought bread down from the heavens. Now, what does this have to do with us practically? Is that often today, not only bread but fruits and vegetables can be grown in such a way that halachically they are not considered to be from the ground. So how does this work? So if you grow something, grow something, something called an atzitz, sheno nakuf, so a, a a pot plant that has no holes on it, so it has it is completely suspended above the ground, so it is not attached to the ground at all. It's in a pot, so something that's grown in a pot is not considered attached to the ground, and therefore it is not obligated in certain mitzvot. So mitzvot satsliyot ba'aretz, mitzvot that are dependent on the land. So truma, ma'isa, tarts. If I grow something, so if I grow a tree on my rooftop in a pot plant, is it oblig in Israel? Is it obligated in Truman Meiser? So the answer is no. Why? Because it's not attached to the ground. It's not part of the ground. It's detached from the ground. So what about bread? If I were to grow bread, grow wheat, you know, in 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 pots that are completely detached from the ground. Would I make the bracha hamotzi lechem in aretz? Would I not make hamotzi lechem in aretz? Same to the fruit, bread priya eats. So, does the tree, is a tree considered a tree if it does not attach to the ground? Bray pri ha things that are grown now. In throughout the negev, this is how everything is grown. So, how do you make a blessing on this? So, there's a, there's a bit of a chuva here which I will spare you. It's a Rabbi Vadi Yosef Zal, and just talk it outside. So he, like we've just seen. He goes through the whole discussion in both directions of why, yes, why, no, according to the Pinzida. If, if it's like a manna, so they should, should take on another blessing. It shouldn't be Hamotzi Lechem in Aretz or Brepri Adama. On the other hand, and this is the way he paskins in the day, he says, Tachlis says, what does it mean, Hamotzi Lechem in Aretz? He says, doesn't mean necessarily like Truman Masa that we're taking it from the earth of Eretz Israel, but rather this is something that grows. It's not, you don't have to be so specific. It is something that is growing from earth. That's what it means. Not the earth, but from earth. So if it grows from earth, do trees grow from earth? Yes, they do. Is it from the earth? Maybe yes, maybe no. But regardless of which, it would still take the bracha. Now, why is this relevant? Because what do, would you bench on something that doesn't? Because what are the blessings? So uh, of Birkat Amazon, so Hazan etakol, ala Aritz ala Amazon. You even know Yisrael English. All of the blessings are coming on the fact that we've eaten land, for, uh, eaten bread from the land. So what happens to the bread? Does it come from the land? So he paskins that even the the uh, even the manna they would bench after the manna. I don't know how they said even I don't know the third blessing how that would be, but nevertheless is that even after the manna, even though you didn't make hamotzi lechem in Aritz on it, nevertheless you would still bench afterwards. And similarly, with this sort of stuff, um, that is, uh, you would even you would a make the blessing because it comes from earth, as well as you would bench afterwards. All right, everybody. So that is uh, that is us for this evening. Happy if anyone uh, has any questions, people can unmute themselves and ask. Allow you to unmute yourselves if anyone has any questions. Please unmute yourself now and ask or forever hold your peace. I say, Mino, you, Mino, you're trying to ask a question because you're muted. Okay, go for it. Okay. If we did this, that food in 
two minutes, why do we have to wait three or six hours depending on one's custom between meat and milk? Good question. So... So I, when I start off the shoe, I, I gave the thing, if it's like meat. So the question of why do we wait between meat and milk? So there are a number of different reasons given. One of the reasons is it actually has nothing to do with what's happening in your stomach. And a good proof for that is the fact that we can eat meat straight off the milk. That's no problem whatsoever. Everybody holds you can eat meat off the milk. It's just a question of milk off the meat. So the, there are two reasons given. One is it actually has to do with the fatty residue of meat that is left in the mouth and that it can and resides there for some time afterwards. And the other is that residue of meat itself lands up between your teeth uh, when you eat it, which I think is uh, quite uh, demonstrably true. And therefore, these things we don't, um, these, we've got to wait six hours until the fatty residue uh, dissipates in the face. Milk does not d- create either of those problems. That being said, so let's just say you, uh, you eat, you eat your meat and uh, um, let's say we have dinner and the wake up next morning, you still have meat stuck between your teeth. So what is the halacha of that meat? So you've got to spit it out, you, you know, but it, it would not render you fleshic, would not render you fleshic. But that's, that's behind that. It's not actually got to do with what's happening in your stomach. Uh, any other questions? All right, everybody, it's wonderful to be back. Lovely to see you all. Hope you have a pleasant evening and look forward to seeing you, please God, tomorrow night. Lailatsov.